Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Chad Zemp lives in Loja, Ecuador as an English teacher. As the pandemic rose, his teaching diminished and he wondered how he would make ends meet. Still, he stayed on and has observed changes in the homeless population as they no longer beg on the street corners, but go door to door because people are no longer out. He's also noticed a red flag system created by the neighborhood, set out at doorways in order to signal when a neighbor is in need. I usually go and write it most days and it's kind of how I get most of my uh, news for, for good or for bad. Uh, yeah, that's why I first heard about it. I don't remember exactly what the first thing I heard about it was. I mean, I heard that there was a virus that had kind of popped up in, in Wuhan, I guess. And that from what people could tell, it had the potential to, like as the news developed, it had the potential to turn into a, a pandemic. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I first heard about it. It's weird, I mean, when I think about it, like I didn't, I didn't think it would be like as serious as it has gotten, but at the same time, it hasn't really surprised me, I guess, in a way. Like, I remember when we first were told we were gonna be at a school, uh, we all just thought it was like maybe for like a week, like that weekend, that like we like, oh, well, we're off today on Friday and maybe on Wednesday we'll be back or something. I think it was early March. I don't remember exactly the exact day, but sometime in early March. And yeah, we just didn't think it would be be that bad. But like, oh, we'll probably be back in like at least probably two weeks at most. And so obviously that hasn't hasn't happened. <laughs> it's, uh, but even so, like, like I said, it, it, it's weird. Like it's, it's developed and it's progressed and, and it should be surprising, but it just kind of feels like it's kind of lost the sheen of like, holy cow, that makes sense. Like it's just, it kind of, maybe it's not surprising because it just feels almost normal in a way, in a sense, now because it's been happening for such a long time. The way it's gradually evolved and progressed is kind of, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say normal because that sounds bad, but <laughs> like, but it, it doesn't feel as shocking as I think it probably should. Maybe that's just because of how it hasn't super personally affected me super intensely. Besides the, the quarantining and the, the uh, lowered amount of, of income, I think it's been about 55 days, something like that, 56, 57 days. Well, I think from, from my perspective, and I think from the people I live with perspective, it seems like the government here in Ecuador started to take it decently seriously from the get-go. 
first started, you had to be at your house at six o'clock at night and couldn't leave after six. And then once the cases kind of started to explode after that, increase a bit more quickly, um, they changed it to two o'clock. So you can't leave your house after two o'clock. And yeah, and then if you do leave your house during the day, you can only, you're supposed to only do it for like um, going to the grocery store or going to the bank, stuff like that. And yeah, you have to wear masks and gloves, all of that stuff. In terms of pedestrians, it's pretty much it, I think. But for driving, depending on your license plate, you can only drive your car one day a week. Kind of, I guess, tries to mitigate or the amount of vehicular circulation. In the community, I just see what's happening like in our neighborhood, I guess. It seems to be seems to be all right. I mean, people are staying in their homes for what it, what it seems like. And uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be bothering people too much. I mean, maybe it is. They just don't obviously let it be known to the, to the world. But but yeah, I mean, that's that's within our just little small neighborhood. But I know there are places here in, in Wuhan, the greater community, that, uh, and within all of Ecuador. They don't have a lot of income. And, and the jobs, the jobs they do have aren't what the government would consider essential. And so they're, they're not able to bring in any income or any, any food. There are people here in Level I know, and, and definitely people within all of Ecuador that are struggling within, within those parameters, I guess. There's like this thing that's been going around that some people here will, um, if they need food, they'll put up red flags, red pieces of cloth on their house. That will let people know that they need food. You see people, people will walk, be walking. There's a lot of, this decent amount of, of immigrants here from like Venezuela and maybe from other places I imagine, but I think most of them from Venezuela. You know, they'll walk around the streets and just kind of go door to door asking for money or for food. I think that's the, the largest negative effect. From what I've heard in Guayaquil is that I think I mean, I think about even a month ago that the healthcare system based on what I, what I heard had already collapsed and they had already run out of supplies and, and hospital beds and whatever else was needed to, to treat people. I, I listened to a podcast and the person on the podcast, and this is about the three weeks ago I listened to this podcast, it was nurses in Guayaquil. And they were saying that people come to the hospital just to have like a dignified death, I guess. And yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty bad. I mean, I imagine you've seen it. There's been reports that like people have been leaving dead bodies out in the street because not enough care workers to go and collect all the bodies at any given time, or people having to live with the dead bodies in their houses for for a while, a little bit of time. So yeah, Guayaquil I think is definitely having a rough a rough go of it. That's where the majority of the cases in Ecuador are. I mean, for me personally, it's it's but obviously a pretty big role allowing us to teach online, which allows us to at least get some sort of income through Skype or what have you. Technology, in just terms of communication, is obviously always vital, but I would imagine now even more vital. Uh, obviously relying on technology more and more to do that. Obviously working uh, to find a vaccine or to um, important information to, to the public and entertainment. It's been pretty helpful for, <laughs> for those purposes. At least for, for us, it's definitely, we, uh, we have like landlords that live below us and they're the owners of the apartment we live in. And I think this pandemic has definitely been, <laughs> and they live like right, right below us and the walls aren't that thin and the floors are, I mean, aren't that thick and the, the floors probably neither. 
So there's been a lot of nights that we've been in this pandemic when we've just kind of, I guess, been loud in a sense. So we've gotten a lot of, like the amount of, of text messages being relayed to us from the landlords has exponentially increased since the pandemic started. <laughs> but even like in these times of pandemic, it's like, holy cow, like, <laughs> I can't imagine like what, what it's like for them. And so to see it just like on street corners and to see it as people are walking down the street asking for stuff, um, like calling up at balconies, calling up at, uh, at windows, knocking on doors, ringing doorbells. I mean, it's it's, it's intense to see because it, it just, I mean, that's just a bad position to be in for them, both because of the insecurity for food and monetary wise, but also just the position of having to do that. I imagine it's not very good about your situation even yourself maybe, I don't know. But I mean, me personally, I think you should, if somebody is at your balcony asking for food in the pandemic, you should give them food. <laughs> we have a balcony that's right out here. And uh, some people have come and I'll just, I usually have like a tons of cans of beans I never eat. So I just throw them cans of beans <laughs> and money sometimes. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. <laughs>